Let's pray together, shall we? Father, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ. We read about his exemplary life. And we marvel at the way in which he touched so many people and changed their lives dramatically. Then we read with some horror and dismay at what took place on the cross and realize again, in that case, his death touched all of humanity. And now, God, on this day, we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And his resurrection, God, changes all of humanity. For that, we are thankful. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. It's good to have you here today. My name is Wayne, and I'm part of the pastoral team here today, and I'm very glad that you're with us, both in, here in the West Auditorium and to those here in the East Auditorium. We're very glad you're joining us in worship here at Easter on this great celebration weekend. I want to spend a few minutes with you in Scripture, and so I'd invite you to take a Bible and turn to the Gospel of John. In the East Auditorium, there are people rolling some carts around right now that would give you a, a Bible that looks, um, well, like similar to this. And you'll notice that we're about that far through the Bible, page 1651. Here in the West Auditorium, you'll see there's some Bibles in the pew racks in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, we'd be honored if you'd take that home as our gift to you, please, all right? We're going to look at John chapter 20, verse 1 is where we're going to be reading. And we're going to be reading from page 1651 if you're grabbing one of those Bibles today. As you're turning there, I, I want to acknowledge that something happened in our, happens in our home from time to time. It happens in your home as well, I'm sure, where there's a moment, if you will, of um, well, a small emergency, a bit of a panic, if you will. I recall one that happened in our house about 14 or 15 years ago. It was wintertime, and during the day, ice had come out of the sky, and uh, not a lot of snow, but it, ice had covered the roads and the, the grass, and actually there was ice in our driveway, and for some reason or other, I was home when the kids got home that day as they got off the bus. And uh, Ben, at the time, was our son would have been about 12 or 13 years of age, and he came racing in the house, came up on the grass side, because you couldn't really get up the driveway, it was so slick. And he came in, he says, Dad, Dad, I, I want to I snowboard up and down the driveway. And like any wise parent would at that moment, I said, well, let's see you do it. <laughs> brilliant idea, brilliant idea. So <laughs> we, we raised up the garage, and he was pretty proficient on that snowboard under usual circumstances when there was snow to work with, but he was going up and down the driveway. Les and I were watching, and the garage door was up, and there was a point where the wiser parent of the two, Leslie, said, I don't know that this is really a good idea. <laughs> Unfortunately, she didn't say it quite soon enough because he went down what, what happened to be his last time going down the driveway, and as he was going down the driveway, he fell backwards, and we heard his head hit the pavement. It'd be one thing if you were going down a hill under grass, but he, we, and so you're kind of in this paralyzed moment. What do you do? What do you do? Because I couldn't get down there. And, and so I'm thinking, well, you know, he's 12 years old, 13 years old. He'll bounce back and he'll get up. And he's, he's just laying there for a minute. And then he goes, I can't move. Well, that's a little bit panic moment for a parent. So I slithered down the driveway and said, are you okay? No, Dad, I can't move. I can't move. So I remember trying to pick him up and drag him over to the side of the driveway because we have a slight slope like this. And so get him to the side of the driveway and on the grass where I could get a little traction. I picked him up 
And I raced back up to the car, jumped over the bushes, up back up to the garage, got in the car, put him in the back seat, buckled him in, and I, I screamed out to Leslie, I'm going to DMH, you close up the house, we'll see you there when you get there. Because we had had some problems with Ben uh, in, when he was three years old. He had another accident in which he had significant brainstem swelling, and he almost died. So any time you mention mess with his head, we've got some problems. So I'm in the car, and I'm, I'm, we're moving fairly quickly, shall we say, to DMH. We live on the north end of town, on the north end of Forsyth. And it would normally take 11, 12 minutes to get down to the ER at DMH, and all the lights turned green. It was really remarkable, God's grace. And we got there in about four minutes, because that way I didn't have to speed at all. Yeah, we got there, and we pulled into the port. We, we were there in about four minutes, seriously. We pulled, I pulled into the portico, and as I'm pulling in, he goes, Dad, 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 I can't see. I can't see properly. It's a little bit of a panic moment for me. So I go tearing into, I went tearing into the ER waiting room. Terry Bologna, who was the head ER physician at the time, was there. He's a friend of ours, and I say, Terry, Terry, Ben's in the car, he's falling, he's got this big lump on the back of his head, and, and, you know, calm, doctor, calm, just kind of moves quickly out to the car, felt the back of Ben's head. He said, well, it's protruding out of the back. It was really a big bag lump out the back. He says, I think the fact that it's protruding outwards, everything's going to be fine. Let's get him in, in an exam room. Now, you've, know, you've known that kind of panic, haven't you? particularly those of us who are parents and our kids do. Um, you've experienced that moment when you can't get to a situation quickly enough. And that sort of panic is what we're going to see in the personalities of John chapter 20 today. And I'd invite you to follow along with me. The setting is this. This is after Jesus' life and ministry. It's after his trial. It's after his, his um, crucifixion on the cross. He's dead. They put his body in a little kind of small hole in a cave, and that was a tomb, and they rolled a big stone in front of it, and they sealed the tomb. A couple days later, early on the first day of the week now, while it was still dark, before the sun comes up, Mary Magdalene, one of Jesus' friends, went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now, that's weird. The stone had been sealed, and it's been pushed away. She comes, it's a panic moment. She's, she comes running to Simon Peter, a disciple, and the other disciple, who we think in this case is John, okay, the guy who's writing the book. So she came running, this panic moment. You could imagine she comes running to Simon Peter the other, and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, out of her, they've, they've, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. You get the idea, right? This is a big moment. They, what? Somebody's taken a dead body. What have they done with the dead body? So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running. Again, panic moment. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. So what we have is Jesus' body had been wrapped in these strips of cloth. And he goes in and he's looking in and the, the cloth is there, but no body. Now, I want you to imagine this scene. If this was you and your friends, somebody has died, a dear close friend, and the body has simply disappeared. Talk about panic. Mary's running around. Peter and John run. Apparently, John is a faster runner than Peter. He did a, a bunch of 5Ks in his day. And I like the fact that he points out a couple times 
in the passage, that he gets there before Peter. He, just as an aside, I won't tell you who got there more quickly, but it was me. I got there first. He's just a little bit proud there. And he, he's saying, I got there. And, and you can imagine the struggle, a sense of fear. It's palpable. What have they done with the body? Perhaps you saw in the news this week that a similar situation occurred in New York recently. Um, the New York Times reported that Annie Pearl Little, what a lovely name, Annie Pearl Little, 82, she died on Christmas Day. But something awful happened on the day of her funeral. On the day of her funeral, McCall's Boxwood Funeral Home in the Bronx, they called up her only son, Donald, and they said, uh, Donald, we've, we've got a problem, and we think you need to come into the funeral just a wee bit early. And so uh, Donald went in to visit with the funeral, uh, funeral director, and the funeral director said, um, Donald, you're going to have to have a closed casket. Well, why is that? We didn't plan on a closed casket. Why are we having a closed casket funeral? Well, we don't have your mother's body. What do you mean? How do you lose a body? What do you mean you've lost my mother? Well, we didn't really lose her. We accidentally cremated her. Oh, can you imagine? I mean, I don't, know where, I don't know where the line between comedy and tragedy is, but we're right there, aren't we? We're right there. What do you mean you accidentally cremated her? Well, um, when she arrived here at the funeral home, another woman arrived at exactly the same time, and they looked really alike. And we confused their bodies. And so we dressed your mother up in the other woman's clothes. We put her in the other woman's casket. And she's been down at the Baptist church. And they've had a lovely wake. And lots of people came by to see her. <laughs> and then we closed up the casket. And that family asked that she be cremated. So we sent her to the crematorium. Then we discovered. Oh, you know what Donald says? I'm so distressed. It's heartbreaking. She was all dressed up and paraded around in someone else's clothes and jewelry, and they all kissed her goodbye. And the funeral home then showed him pictures, photos, of all these strangers kissing this woman goodbye. It's just weird all the way around, right? Any wonder he's a little bit distressed. Where's my mother's body? Surely that's what the characters of John 20 faced, right? Read what, with me what happens. Verse 6, Simon Peter... He's the guy, the slow guy. He gets there. He's, he's the Wayne Kent in the picture, okay? He can't run as fast as the other guy, all right? Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who'd reached the tomb first, again, John tells us again, I was there first, right? He also went inside. He saw and believed. And then he makes a slight comment on what's happened here. He goes, this is after the fact. He goes, we, they did not understand the scripture that said that Jesus had to rise from the dead. I get this. They're all puzzled by the whole scene. You and I would be the same. Remember where they are in life. They'd spent some years following Jesus, walking with Jesus, these three characters, Mary Magdalene, Peter, and John. And they'd walked with him. They'd, they'd seen him touch all kinds of lives. They had expected that he was going to become the savior of the world. He was going to take the, the, the throne, if you will, of Israel. And then in, a, in just like in a couple days like this, it's all over and he's dead. That's their, that's their frame of reference. 
They had very little ability to see God's plan for a better life, given the pain of grief and disappointment and disillusionment and just the fog of all of that. But friends, I've got really good news for you. I've got excellent news for you. That God's best plan, God's best plan for you can come in the midst of hopelessness, even when we can't see that plan. It's on its way. And if that's the case, I want to bring you two responses then to this story today. How God's best plan is going to be made available as a result of the resurrection. There are lots of other responses, but I just want to give you two. And the first one is this. That in the midst of hopelessness that, brings, that, 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 that often illness or death brings us, this business of what's happening here is really about the death of Jesus Christ and then the resurrection. In the midst of hopelessness that death brings... The power of God is always stronger than the power of death, friends. Always. See, I'm aware, sometimes when death comes along, uh, we're in a setting where somebody's been ill for a long time or they're old and you just, it's almost like, it's like a sigh of relief. You know, okay, the struggle is over. The pain is gone. It's over. And and you, dare I say, there are some moments when we almost even say, we almost pray, okay, God, take him home. Take her home. And it's some sort of cathartic space in our hearts, in our souls. Deep down, we go, it's okay. It's good. That's on the one hand. But then on the other hand, there are moments when death is not welcomed at all. It's a fatal accident. It's a heart attack. And, I mean, the death comes as a shock. But don't kid yourself, friends, whether it be this kind of relief from pain or whether it be in a shock, death in the long run is an enemy. Wouldn't you rather have a person live in a body free from disease and the ravages of old age? Because death, whether it be a relief or whether it comes as a shock, death is an enemy that steals someone from us. We've been burglarized. We had a relationship with that person. It is no longer available to us. But in the midst of that, Jesus' resurrection declares that Jesus is the death defeater. And the scripture tells us that if we follow Christ, if we are a believer in what he said he came to do, and we believe in the power of the resurrection, and in the little resurrection, then apparently, according to scripture, then those of us who follow him are going to experience the same thing on the other side of our physical deaths. As a matter of fact, this is how it's written in 1st. Corinthians 15, it says, You hear a blast to end all blasts from a trumpet, and in the time you look up and blink your eyes, it's over. On a signal from that trumpet in heaven, the dead will be up and out of the graves beyond the reach of death, never to die again. And in that same moment, and in the same way, we'll all be changed in the resurrecting scheme of things. This has to happen. Everything perishable taken off the shelves and replaced by the imperishable. This mortal replaced by the immortal. Then the saying will come true. Death swallowed up by triumphal life. Who got the last word, O death? Death, who is afraid of you now? Seriously, we have no reason to be afraid of death in the light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because in a single victorious stroke of life, death is gone, the gift of our master, Jesus Christ. Thank God. Hear it again, friend. In a single victorious stroke of life, death is gone, the gift of our master, Jesus Christ. Thank God. Would you say that with me today? In a single victorious? In a single victorious stroke of life, death is gone, the gift of our master, Jesus Christ. Thank God. That is the first response 
to Jesus' resurrection. But there's another one in the story as well, if you look at how it came to Mary. Verse 11, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Now, I would need to tell you, friends, if I look into a little cave that had been a tomb and there's no body there but two angels, I'd like to think that I'd be smart enough to recognize that something significant had taken place. But in her fog, she can't get there. They asked the woman, they asked her, woman, why are you crying? And she just answers honestly, well, they've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they've put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there but didn't realize it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? What's going on here? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, well, sir, if you've carried away, him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll get him. And I love this. Jesus simply says her name and she suddenly realized who, who he is. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. <laughs> Mary, in the fog of her life and in the fog and grief of that moment, you still wanting to know what happened to Jesus' body. And that seems natural to us, right? The body is missing. And she asked the guy she thinks is the gardener. And, and she, he, he, she's given him the benefit of the doubt. I, I suppose overnight you had to move his body. I, that's okay. All right. But can you tell me where he is? I'll go and deal, deal with him there. And that's even after chatting and talking to two angels. If you'd seen two angels, wouldn't... She's like you and me. Sometimes the struggles and the fog of life and struggle, we fail to see that Jesus Christ, frankly, is right in front of us. And we fail to do what Mary did do. Namely, that she had to realize that Jesus knew her name. The second response today to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the risen Christ, Jesus the death defeated, the Son of God, knows your name. Because Jesus, the risen Christ, knew Mary's name. He recognized her even if she didn't recognize him. The Savior of the world, the risen Son of God, the death defeater knows your name, friends. See, it'd be one thing to say, well, Jesus knew my name when he was dying on the cross. If there was no resurrection, that'd be nice, but it'd be kind of the end of it, right? Because if he knew your name as, you di as he dies on the cross, then when he's dead, his memory of you is gone. Is that any help? Not really, to be honest. But I've got great news for you, friends. Great news. Since the resurrection took place, he is alive, and now there are some new dramatic understandings because in the midst of all our running around through life, just like Peter, Peter, Peter Mary, and John, in the midst of whatever panic moment comes along, Jesus Christ knows your name. In your setting, in your life, in your joys, as grand as they are, in your struggles, as deep as they are, your greatest moments, your worst days, Jesus Christ knows about them. And I want you to declare, ladies and gentlemen, that Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. He knows my name. As a matter of fact, here's what I want us to do in both rooms today, both in the West Auditorium and the East Auditorium. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to say some statements about who we are, and I'm going to conclude those statements by saying Jesus is risen. And I want you to respond by saying he is risen indeed, but we're going to tag something else on it. He knows my name. So let's practice in both rooms. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. He knows my name. All right. So here we go. You ready? 
Ready for this? Here we go. In the midst of your life setting, Jesus is risen. In the midst of your joys, Jesus is risen. In the midst of your struggles, Jesus is risen. Now, those in the West Auditorium, I need you to know that those in the East are a very boisterous crowd, and they're out doing you big time right now. <laughs> Seriously. Oh, in this room here, we're kind of like third graders going. We're like, when the principal shows up, hello, Mrs. James. You know, that's, so we're going we're gonna to pick up the pace. We're, here in the West, we've got to catch up with those in the East because they are way ahead of us. I know this. I was over there already, all right? So hear this. In the midst of your greatest moments, Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. There you go. In the midst of your worst days, Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. He In the midst of your panicked running about, Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. In the midst of your need for forgiveness, Jesus Christ is risen. In the midst of your health problems, Jesus is risen. Would you stand together to, as we continue? In the midst of your fears, friends, Jesus is risen. In the midst of your joyous laughter, Jesus is risen. And catch this, friends. In the midst even of death, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior and death defeater, Jesus Christ is risen. Let's proclaim that together.